from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends. This is Chip Lutz, Unconventional Leader. Now, for some of you, you know that I have two podcasts. I have one I do for myself, Leadership Happy Hour, and I also have the one I do for the Association for Applied and Therapy Humor called LaughBox. And once in a while, I get the opportunity to talk to somebody who kind of like spans both. And I'm like, oh, I want to talk to this person for this podcast, but I always want to talk to him for this one too. So today, I get to talk to Paul Ozenkup for both podcasts and well, in one, one hour because he's a busy guy and I appreciate his time. So welcome, Paul, to the podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks, Chip. I'm excited to be able to multitask and do two things at once uh, for this <laughs> podcast. I, I'm not very good at that normally, so this is great. Yeah, I think multitasking is it's a, it's a bunch of BS. I mean, people say that, <laughs> oh, I can do all these different things, but truthfully, you know, what you're focused on is what you're focused on most of the time. Pretty much. Yeah. Now, yeah, I've had the opportunity to like, you know, look at your website and you know, we've you know, spent a little bit of time talking, but for our listeners out there, if you can share a little bit about uh, who Paul is, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> uh, well, um, I guess professionally i'm a i'm a speaker a positive workplace strategist and a job title inventor um <laughs> i <laughs> i tell people i'm a positive workplace strategist and they're like what man i have no idea what you're talking about <clears throat> but uh yeah you know i i i kind of grew up um knowing i wanted to be a teacher for a long time and uh went to college and um started working for the university and I ended up getting my master's degree in higher education leadership and administration. And I, I did that for a long time with some really serious jobs, um, working with uh, students who were had um, severe mental health issues, suicidal ideation, drug and alcohol issues, and um, uh, doing things like investigating sexual assaults and stuff like that. So really serious work. And uh, I kind of, as a young professional found myself moving into leadership position after leadership position um, feeling like man I'm like a little bit on the young side to be kind of moving into these areas and um, all along the way kind of would reflect on well why did I get selected for this job or mm -hmm. how come you know how why am I in in this um, situation and I realized at some point that uh, I was like, I think people enjoy my sense of humor. And, and I started realizing that that was a tool of mine uh, as, a, as a person. And, you know, on the side, I always love doing stand up comedy and making people laugh anyway. So, um, but it was something I just kind of reflected on over a few years. So now what I do is I go uh, work with leaders um, and, and groups about, adding more humor to your life, adding more fun to work and helping people create uh, more positive workplaces. So it's kind that's, of um, in a nutshell. That's awesome and truly needed in today's environment. Um, now my, sure. first, my first big question for you, Paul is has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it's something that's <laughs> on my mind. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Not on a dare that I've ever eaten. Not on a dare, probably a Guinea pig. Uh, Shut up! All right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, 
<laughs> hey, you asked, man. You, 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 for people listening to this, we didn't talk about what we were going to talk about. We don't have like any sort of agenda. He just, we just kind of going with it. So you ask, I'm going to tell you what I ate. I ate a guinea pig. Um, was it deep fried? Yeah, I was at a boiled. Well, know. I was at a friend's house, and his pet got out. No, um, I was in Peru, uh, and. Uh, I was in Peru, and um, they, they eat guinea pigs down there. It's cuisine, um, it's it's really common. They, it's called cui, C-U-I. And uh, I was in Cusco, Peru, and I wasn't super interested in eating a guinea pig, but I thought, man, it, how many times in my life am I going to be in Peru? I got to try this. And it was, they brought it out to the table, like straight up just looking like a guinea pig. Like it's just on a plate and I was like oh man damn and it's then weird. they bring it's, a, it's <laughs> weird medieval eyes just staring at you exactly like, oh, I just was oh, like oh, I don't like this <laughs> yeah like I love fish but I don't even really like eating fish when they look like fish but uh <laughs> but you know like just give me a fillet uh but so anyway they bring it out and then it's got this like bowl of warm um water and a washcloth um next to it because it was like um, just really greasy, like um, like one of those rotisserie chickens that you get at the store, but like much greasier and messier. So, uh, yeah, good question. So, did it t- taste like chicken? Uh, yeah, like like super greasy chicken. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. <laughs> super greasy chicken. <laughs> Maybe it would have been better if they'd like you know bread it and fried it. You know that that could have. Yeah, been. probably. And and it was the only place I tried it. So maybe at another restaurant, you know, I would have loved it. I don't know. It, it was okay. It wasn't bad. I ate it. Yeah, I saw uh, on the Food Network. I saw something not too long ago about a, down in Peru and South America where they they have guinea pig farms and they harvest them and it's it's a quite a delicacy and i was like oh but they're so cute i know i know i actually had a pet guinea pig when i was a kid so uh, i did feel like a horrible person but then again you know i think cows are cute too and i love cheeseburgers so everybody's got to eat you know that's that's what i say we have four horses i had a friend that texted me the other day that's like hey what do you think about them exporting horses to uh you know for food and i was like yeah i'm all for it people got to eat yeah, I mean, you know, everywhere, everywhere is different. So everywhere is different. All right, cool. Well, let's get into the nitty gritty. When you're saying you're a positive workplace strategist, what is that? What does that mean? Well, you know, I was trying to, I was kind of trying to think about uh, not too long ago. What what is it that my goal or my mission r- really is with working with companies and and working with people. And more and more I found wherever I go that, for one, there's just a lot of negativity, not just at work, but um, in media, uh, in social media. Um, and I, I don't feel that it's super helpful uh, to, to any of us. Um, and also, depending on what statistics you're looking at, uh, anywhere between like 69 and 85 percent of people are miserable with their jobs and don't like their jobs. Oh, that is and so, so sad. my thought is, yeah, I mean, it's like, and and furthermore, like you know, 71 percent of people feel like they're just a statistic. No, just kidding. I made that up. But um, <laughs> the the uh, that that one is usually like a joke grenade. It's like, wait, is that real or no? Oh, I get it, a statistic. Okay, but anyway, uh, 
So my goal really is to help people enjoy their jobs more, and that's both with humor as well as, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of skill development uh, around being able to have difficult conversations in a positive way, reframe things to um, where you're still, uh, you know, holding people accountable but not using, not using uh, negative phrases and words and things like that mm -hmm. um, in order to do it. So. Uh, a lot of conflict resolution type stuff that I think is also important to create a positive work climate. Um, places where people feel like uh, welcome and included and, hey, where I go to work is, is at least fun more often than it's not. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I'll tell you, there's a, there was a guy who came up to me uh, and told me, you may have heard this, this before. But uh, after I did um, my, my uh, TED Talk, this guy came up. He's got just white silver hair, um, probably 75 or 80 years old. And he said, hey, I, I appreciate your talk. And he had tears in his eyes. And I was like, man, I was trying to make you laugh, dude. <laughs> but uh, he, he said, you know, I worked in corporate America my whole life and wished we'd had a sense of humor. But it, it made me think I wanted to tell you a joke. And, and uh, I said, okay, great. And he said, so there's this guy, he decides he's going to become a monk and join a monastery. And so he goes and they tell him, okay, but you take a vow of silence and you only get to say two words every seven years. And so he says, okay. So he's there and at his first seven year anniversary, he gets to say two words. And so they give him the floor and he just looks at the rest of the monastery and says, bad food. And everybody's like, dang, man, okay. So that, that was his two words for that, for that time. And then seven years go by, it's 14th anniversary. He gets the floor again. He just looks at everyone and says, cold floors. And they're like, dang, man, okay, fine. So back to silence for the next seven years. And finally, a 21-year anniversary, he gets up and looks at the entire monastery and says, I quit. <laughs> and the head of the monastery, the head monk looks at him and says, well, that's no surprise. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> oh, that's an awesome one. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And to me, it, I think about uh, if, you know, wherever you work, if you were to give people two words to describe the culture or the climate or what it feels like to go to work there, what two words would they use? And that pretty much kind of sums up. Would, would they say like stressful and busy mm -hmm. or would they say, you know, family and fun or, you know, it, it, it makes a huge difference. I know for me that the, I, I think it back over my 30 years in the workforce. I, I can't think of any of the work that I actually did that well, I woke up in the morning. It's like, oh my gosh, I get to type this today or, oh my gosh, I get to file <laughs> this today. You know, for me, it was always the environment that made a difference it, that, you know, yeah. it, and that revolved around the leader that was in charge and the people that I worked with that if it was a sour environment, you know, if the work was crappy and the people were crappy, it was just like, oh man, you know, this is the worst thing ever. But even if the work was crappy, but the people were great, it's like, you know, I, I could find something decent in this. And it, we usually, the element of fun kept me going. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And there's a difference between, hey, I'd love to have another day off, but, uh, you know, tomorrow's Monday and, uh, at least my coworkers are, are pretty cool and we at least have a, a good time some of the time and it's a generally positive place to be rather than anyone who's ever had a 
difficult uh, or a, a job at a kind of a toxic environment, you get the Sunday scaries, you know, and all day Sunday, you're just dreading the next day because where you work uh, is a negative place to be. The Sunday scaries. I've never heard that before, but I think that is right now quite possibly one of my favorite phrases ever. The Sunday scaries. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I worked at a place uh, before that, I'd get the Sunday scaries, man, and it kind of just ruined the last day of my weekend because all I'd be thinking about is like, oh, gosh, I don't want to go back. Right. And, well, and sometimes it doesn't even stop over the weekend because, I mean, gone are the days where you could actually separate yourself from work. You know, you get yeah. emails or texts or whatever. I mean, I remember, you know, 25 years ago where when I was away from work, I was away from work. I didn't have to worry about anything, right. you know, um, very doubtful anybody would ever call me. Um, but I would get the end of vacation scaries. <laughs> yep. was like, yep, oh exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I got to go back. Ah, I don't want to. So let, yeah. let's, well, and that's, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Then finish your sentence. Well, well, I, I, that, that's an issue as well is, is being able to unconnect, you know, disconnect, um, digitally disconnect, um, uh, with, with work, uh, too. And I think a lot of times we, we seek out the positive fulfillment from technology that we are not getting with relationships with real connection and relationships. And it's, it's just not the same. I, my, I have a, a niece and uh, who's in high school and she, um, I was visiting their house and uh, she had done something different with her hair. She'd like cut it and put some color in it. And I said, Oh, I love your hair. It looks so good. And she was kind of like, Oh, thanks. And I said, well, what's, what's wrong? And she said, well, I kind of am dating this boy. We went out to coffee and he told me he liked my hair. But when I posted a picture on Instagram, he didn't like it on Instagram. And I was like, Oh my God, what a travesty. You know? <laughs> uh, but, but I said, well, hold on. So he, he was sitting with you in person face to face and he told you he liked it. And she said, yeah, and I, and I said, well, you know, that's better, right? And she said, oh, my God, that's not better. It's better that he likes it on Instagram. That means he really likes it. And then everyone else knows that he likes it. That's so and that funny. conversation kind of just reframed my whole thinking about the world we live in. And, and that I think, like, we put so much more emphasis on virtual than reality. Right. At times. And we don't get the same feeling of fulfillment from that. Um, and so I think it's important to be able to like seek that out in real ways. Well, and that's what I really liked about your TED talk when I was listening to it. And we were talking about how in today's environments, you know, we need leaders that are, are, are present and are vulnerable mm -hmm. and that, you know, humor certainly plays a part in that, you know, so when you go out and talk to different, you know, organizations and I, I, we can come back to, you know, the whole virtual reality, you know, in, in a minute, cause sure. we've, in the, in the whole scheme of things, we've come so far in the last, you know, just decade on that, you yeah. know, just kind of funny. I remember when my wife and I got married, we just, as a joke afterwards, we, you know, we, we turned around and was like, all right, we got to post this on Facebook. Otherwise it's not real. And like all of, you know, all the older people in the room were like, what you've done, you're doing that in the sanctuary of the church. You're in a burning hell. But it was just, it was a joke. It was funny, you know? Um, anyway, so certainly like, 
you know, humor plays, you know, a, a factor of leaders being approachable. And, you know, I liked what you had in your TED talk about that. So, you know, what are some, you know, things that leaders can do or how humor works in that regard? Yeah, well, you know, I won't bore everybody with all the research, but there's a lot of research that, that uh, shows that leaders who use their sense of humor uh, and, and try to use humor more often are paid more, promoted more, seen as more credible. Because I think a lot of the fear is I'm going to be looked at like I'm ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah. Or that I'm not credible. Yeah, and, and so, but, but that isn't really bared out in research. And the first thing that, that I think is important, though, is that there is research that shows that people who were surveyed over uh, a bunch of different um, occupations and asked to describe the characteristic traits of the best leaders that they work for, uh, the two traits that were mentioned twice as often as any others were work ethic and sense of humor. It's literally like work hard, play hard. Um, so, so the first caveat of that, I, I think, is that you have to be able to earn it. Like, you, you can't just be, like, silly comedy guy, like, hey, I got a bunch of trolls on my desk. Isn't that cool? Uh, who doesn't do his job, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I just got this visual on my, I just got the visual on my mind of, you know, me sitting at my desk with a bunch of troll dolls and how funny that would be yeah. to me personally. I mean, I would just think that would be hilarious. That would keep my mood up all day. But um, it's yeah. anyone. But everybody's worked with someone who is just ridiculous to the point, uh, you know, and they and they might be unreliable. Uh, they don't do a good job anyway. Well, that doesn't work. So what that what that research and it's from the Bell Leadership Institute. But uh, what that tells me is you you have to uh, be good at your job and be reliable uh, first. But that people do want that genuine realness and uh you know kind of in a day and age where you can create your own perfect presence online um i think people smell out bs pretty pretty easily so one thing i think is just being courageous enough uh to try it uh and you know Lu lucille ball has has a great quote um she she said i'm not funny what i am is brave and I couldn't agree with that more in that it, it is a risk. I think that it's scary to be silly, uh, particularly when you're in a leadership position. Um, and so the, I think the first thing that we can do is turn the attention to ourselves, not, not trying to be funny all the time and use other examples or other people, but really starting with yourself. Um, so one, you asked how, and uh, one I idea and, I've done this and I've encouraged a, a lot of people and this is just a, a mindfulness strategy turned toward humor. Um, but at night, before you go to bed, just think of like maybe while you're brushing your teeth, just think, well, what's one thing either that happened to me today or that I did today that I could laugh about or laugh at or that other people might think was funny mm. and write it down in a journal and do this for like two weeks. Just write it down in a journal, um, and it it could ha it could be something uh, really obvious, or it could be something small. Like I probably looked really ridiculous, you know, dodging my dog as I was trying to work out in my basement. Um, if someone were to to watch this, but write it down, and at the you know very least you you'll have fourteen different 
anecdotes or stories to be able to come back to and uh, maybe tell those stories to people you work with or friends. Uh, and it might make people laugh. It'll show that you're a human being. Uh, and it usually reduces social distance between you and people who you're a leader or manager of. Um, but the best case scenario of what tends to happen when you are doing that each night is I think the biggest challenge in finding humor in life is finding humor in real time rather than like later on in retrospect, because people always say, Oh, just laugh at yourself. But that's hard to do. Yes. Uh, especially like, when am I supposed to do that? Like when I lock the keys in the trunk of my rental car mm -hmm. and like I'm on the way to an interview, like, Oh gosh, oh, life, silly me. <laughs> no, I'm freaking out. You know, like what am I going to do? And so, but we can train our minds uh, to do that more often in real time because what will happen over the course of that couple of weeks is something will occur during the day that normally might you know, piss you off or make you freak out, make you anxious, and you'll think, oh, well, that's what I'll be writing down tonight. And that's when you kind of know you're starting to train your brain to at least see some of the humor in the situation in real time. So that's just one you know, actionable thing that you could, that you could try. Yeah, yeah, humor. I'm a firm believer. Humor takes practice. That we, totally. we as human beings, you know, we have a, a, propen a propensity to focus in on the negative, and you know. But if we're like you said, constantly looking for, all right, what was a little bit funny about this? And then what I really loved about what you said is, you know, sharing that with the your team, sharing with the people around you. Uh, we have a, a member uh, in ATH, you know, is uh, named Darren Lacroix. He talks about how you know humor you know, humanizes, you know, your leadership, you know, humanizes you as a person. I, mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that, that, you know, it makes you just firmly a, a lot more likable. I mean, as a leader, there's a lot of things that we do that aren't liked, but that doesn't mean we can't yeah. be likable. And, you know, sharing that funny antidote, that funny story is one of those things that certainly can make you a little more likable. Absolutely. And especially if it's something that uh, other people already maybe know about you or is, you know, like if, if you're uh, perpetually a really clean, you know, type A person and you did something that, uh, that caused a huge mess or you're a germaphobe and something, people will find that hilarious. Absolutely. Uh, what I loved about you know, when I was watching your TED Talk, I'm going to put a plug in here for people to go to your website, which we'll give at the end, <laughs> and watch your TED Talk because it's awesome. But I love the beginning story about, you know, you going into the wrong bathroom and stuff because what it reminded me of was uh, before I retired from the Navy, I, you know, I'd quit smoking and I'd pack on a few pounds and we have, you know, two uniform seasons in the Navy you know, a white season and a blue season. So it was, a blue, you know, the blue season, first day I was, you know, I was commanding officer, I was going out to do a uniform inspection uh, for my people. And, you know, granted, I had packed on like 15 pounds. And so like when I, when I put on this, when I put on my service dress blue, I was like fat man in a little coat. I was packed in that thing like a sausage, <laughs> like a sausage casing, right? So I would go to sit in my car. As soon as I sit in my car, the ass of my, of my pants completely rip out. Oh. And I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? And so... <laughs> I call my brother who lived down the road, also in the Navy. I was like, hey, you know, you got a pair of pants I can borrow? He's like, Chip, you're two, two inches taller than me. You know, you're not going to be able to wear my pants. I'm like, all right. So 
as soon as I get to work, I call my entire staff in. I was like, because, you know, I had a couple options. I mean, I could just, you know, since I was commanding officer, I could have not done the uniform inspection completely. I could just be like, oh, I'll give it to somebody else. I could have worn a different uniform, but I was like, oh, I really need to be out there leading from the front. So I called my whole staff in. I was like, look, here's the deal, people. And I turned around and I showed them, I'm like, I need a new pair of pants. Can you scour this building and find me a new pair of pants? And they start like busting out laughing because they know that, that is awesome. They knew that I had packed on a few pounds and I would, I would make fun of it all the time. So they, they scoured the entire building and they found me a pair of pants, but it was, it was just one of those things that, you know, connected me with them a little bit more because yeah, it, it, it made me more human. Yeah, absolutely. That that is a hilarious story. That and the fact that you, but that's but that's uh, goes back to what I was saying before about you know it's it's it can be scary to that you're going to look silly. Uh, and so often when we think about what we look like or how we're being perceived, but it was a risk for you to do that. It was a risk for you to do that, and it paid off because it it brought people closer to you. Well, and I've always found that the people that were able to make light of a serious situation. The people that I worked for, uh, it just, um, it, it, like we said, it made them more human, but it made the entire environment a little less stressful. That, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if they weren't all that worried about it and they were able to laugh at it, all right, well, okay, then I can take a breath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I told you that I, uh, I used to work with college students who had been in, in some type of trouble and uh, I, had a meeting with a young man who had been arrested. And so my job was to discuss what, what we could do, if anything, to keep them in school when they got themselves in trouble. And I had already had a meeting with this young man that didn't go too well. He was really upset, had some anger issues, really, you know, didn't like me. And I was now going to have another meeting. It was going to be him, his mom, and the attorney. And so I'm kind of okay. going over my notes. The attorney? The attorney? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. We we got the attorney. You know, it's the, that that was my job. And uh, wow. So I'm going over my notes, and right as I'm getting up to go uh, greet them in the lobby to bring them back to the meeting room, I spill an entire thermos of coffee right on my lap. I mean, directly on my crotch. That it, it's just soaked. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I you know I look at it and I'm thinking. I, I go in the restroom, but there's nothing I can do. And I, so I'm like, well, I could go awkwardly like hold a binder over my crotch and walk weird and see if, but it was like down my legs and everything. So I was like, there's no way of, uh, of covering this up. So I just walked out to the front lobby uh, to get them. And I said, Hey, I hope your day is starting off better than mine. Uh, this happened just now. Uh -huh. And, and uh, the young man uh, who stormed out of my office the last time we met just looks up and and shakes his head and goes i told you to see a doctor about that <laughs> and it, everybody within earshot started laughing like my staff who was around was laughing the uh there's some other students around the mom kind of like slapped his thigh like oh, don't say that the attorney's dying um but our meeting went way better this time and, and i think his funny comment uh really broke the ice. Uh, and, and I think he felt okay saying that because I was basically coming out with an olive branch of, Hey, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Look what I did. Um, so you're right. I, I, I do think it, it, in my experience, it really, um, helps bridge a gap. Yeah. And well, it, it, yeah, broke the tension, you know, where, you know, yeah. it, and it just connected you on a different plane 
than I think that yeah. most, most things can do. Um, yeah. When you're thinking about humor as a tool, as a leader, you know, certainly have you found times that it just, uh, maybe it was, a, I don't want to say not the right time, but it was uh, a little more difficult or not appropriate to use it? Well, I, that's, a, that's difficult because, uh, first of all, I don't think that there's a job that exists that humor isn't appropriate in that job. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've, I mean, I've worked with police officers in inner cities. You know, the job I had uh, w was really difficult. So, uh, Barack Obama, when he was president of the United States, um, used humor a lot, uh, both online um, and, in, and in press conferences. Um, so there's not, uh, occupation-wise, I don't think a job that's so serious that we can't use humor. I do think there are moments, I, I, I think, like, we were talking a little bit about, you know, kind of self-deprecating humor. And I think there are times where uh, you might not want to use that. Let's say like a job interview, mm -hmm. right. And go, well, I'm pretty good, but I'm not too organized. If you know what I mean, <laughs> uh, you might not, you might not want to, or I'm a little bit of a slob. Uh, yeah. You probably don't want to, to do that in, in a job interview. Um, and I think of course there are moments, uh, just like anything else, um, you know, you're given performance reviews and people are, you know, sad or upset. Uh, my my go-to is usually comfort, understanding, silence, uh, empathy, mm. uh, rather than trying to be funny or make a joke. But that being said, it doesn't mean that humor can't uh, be, you know, find its way into those situations because, uh I had a, I won't go into the details because it's, it's a little bit, um, uh, not suitable for, <laughs> for the, the podcast, but I was working with a young woman who had been sexually assaulted mm -hmm. and in our conversation, she, she had to, you know, explain everything that was going on and that had happened. But in that conversation, she actually kind of made herself laugh, uh, and, uh, by the way she described something. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of made her smile and chuckle a little bit to the point then, and I kind of smiled with her then, and then she started laughing so much she was, she was crying, and she said, I'm sorry, I just haven't said it that way before. It was just really funny, and, and you know, tears that had been sitting in her eyes that now were coming out as she's laughing, and she said, this is just the first time I've laughed since this happened. Wow. And it was such a powerful moment to... Uh, see this young woman who clearly that laughter, th there was something about that. I think that was reassuring to her that like, you know, I'm still here. The, the presence of who I really am is still here, even though I've gone through this horrible thing. Um, so I don't know that there, there is really anything that uh, humor can't find its way into, but mm -hmm. I think there, it's more about, uh, are there moments that are inappropriate for leaders or anyone else to not try to be funny? Right. Yeah. It would have been inappropriate for me in that moment to like try to be putting on a clown show and trying to be making jokes. Absolutely. Pulling out your trolls, you know, from the inside your desk. <laughs> exactly. Kind of exactly. Well, I think well, yeah. what yeah. I love about what you just said was that um, for me, like I've got a weird sense of humor and there are a lot of things that I think that are really, really funny that's, 
maybe not might my, my, not might be funny to my team. And so what I like yeah. about what you said is that you kind of took your lead from her, you know, and sometimes absolutely that's, that's sometimes what we need to do because you know I had to learn that the hard way that I would you know I, off the cuff I would say something that in my head was immaterial, freaking hilarious. But the situation wasn't right. <laughs> it wasn't received like I said it, and that uh, it just fell flat. So what I like what you, uh, you you had on there, and I think I think this pairs what you were saying about you know having some of those difficult conversations is sometimes you know you know, taking your lead from the person you're with, which requires you know you really you need to be you know present with the person and really paying attention and listening to what's going on. Well said. I, yeah, I couldn't say anything better. I, I completely agree with that. And, and I, I think that the, uh, even out of the worst types of situations, humor can be found. Um, I was just, uh, I, I do a little bit of, of work with some professional work with, uh, the onion and I was talking with, with a staff member there at the onion and they were saying that, uh, uh, they get a lot of when they tell people that they work at the onion um there are so many people that say hey i just want to say thank you so much for the for the onion um that you put out after 911 mm-hmm. um and they were sure that after 911 that that was going to be the final onion uh uh article probably ever written but mm-hmm. They felt like, hey, we got to see if we can find any humor. And so some of the headlines that uh, were completely appropriate and pretty funny um, after 9-11 was like U.S. vows to defeat whoever it is we're at war with. Right. Because at the time we're going, what's Al Qaeda? What is this? Isn't a real this is a crazy war Um, or uh, not knowing what else to do. Woman bakes American flag cake. Just tying into the truth of humor Mm -hmm. that. We're all sitting there going, I don't even know what to do now. I feel so helpless. Well, this woman bakes an American flag cake. So there's, there's still ways that things can be funny, usually in, in truth, um, even out of really bad circumstances, out of pain and hurt. Right. And it just uh, it sometimes just eases, eases the pain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, looking at being a positive workplace strategist, what are some, besides humor, what are some other tools that you give people to, you know, create that kind of atmosphere where people want to be? Because what I liked about, again, I'm going to refer back to your, you know, your TED Talk on, you know, how, you know, most millennials stay at their job for like a year. Um, I think that was what you'd mm-hmm. said. And, you know, so because, you know, the, the culture, the atmosphere isn't a good fit for them. You know, so if you're cr- yeah. trying to create this, you know, this atmosphere, this culture where people want to be, you know, that's, that's, that's your, that's your gig, man. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, a uh, couple things. One is, you know, closely tied to humor is the concept of just fun, a fun workplace environment. And uh, most millennials, and I think most people in general, um, say that they would like to work in a fun atmosphere. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at, um, uh, what is it? Not Forbes, the uh, fortune magazine, um, top 100 places to work, uh, their largest difference, they they do like a, a survey of over a million people throughout the workforce in different occupations. 
mm-hmm. um, and they rate companies on great place to work, good place to work. Um, and the greatest difference of all the questions they ask, they ask questions about pay and benefits and you know commitment to diversity and all sorts of stuff. But one of them is, do you work in a fun environment? And the largest difference between the good rated places and great rated places were was the fun question. Um, and so to me, this is this ties right in with humor. And there's a lot of people who are like thinking, yeah, the humor thing's cool, but I just don't think I'm that funny, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know, at home, if you're sitting there, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I just don't know if I'm really that funny, you might be right. You might not be that funny, and that's okay. You, it, that, you're self-aware, which is way more important than being funny. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean you don't have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean you don't know how to have fun, and, and we're way more likely to laugh when we're with other people. So uh, workplaces that get people together doing fun things, um, and not just like once-a-year annual events. Companies spend a fortune on like holiday parties and things like that, and they do this one one off thing, and that's such a good feeling. Uh, but I'm talking about having that feeling generated every day, every week, every month with rituals that uh, create a fun atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one part is is creating fun, and then the other thing is um, using positive conflict resolution tools. Um, so I, I teach leaders um, with with some fun interactive. Uh, uh, activities, um, things like using affective statements when giving feedback to other employees, um, and uh, some restorative leadership, and and working with people who maybe uh, got themselves into some disciplinary issues, and how you can uh, use different language in order to get the most out of employees without having them leave that meeting feeling discouraged or not respected and that kind of thing. All of those things I think tie in. Oh yeah. And I like that. And, but yeah, sometimes fun is so subjective. You know, what's fun to one yeah. person isn't going to be fun to another person. And I like what you <laughs> said about, you know, making it kind of a, a ritual and, you know, soliciting from the group as far as things that they would want to do. Cause you know, one thing we do a lot of times as leaders, we assume people like what we like. And so there are a lot of things that I yeah. think are fun. However, they might not be fun to anybody else. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like I love, I love ping pong and I'll play anybody at ping pong and I could do that all day long. But uh, I found that there's not that many people that like to play ping pong. Uh, and so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, but some people, it doesn't mean though that a, a workplace couldn't say, okay, we're going to have a ping pong tournament and we need someone in charge of food and bringing food. Well, a lot of people like food. It's like, Hey, I hate ping pong, but I'll eat some food and watch you fools play ping pong. And then we need someone to create the build up for the tournament, the hype and send out emails or take some pictures of people in their ping pong headbands and whatever. Maybe there's somebody that wants to do that. Uh, so, you know, somebody who can come up with prizes, does someone want to MC it? Now all of a sudden it's becoming an event and then you've just got people who might just want to come watch mm-hmm. and spectate and check it out. So, uh, I, I think that both humor and fun, uh, need to be inclusive. Absolutely. But I like what you said about food. Everybody likes food. I find that, you know, things centered around food usually go pretty good. 
you know, so yeah, it, usually that's going to at least get a few people out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Even was, that weird guy with trolls on his desk. In that weird guy. Way out well, it, it, one of my, uh, both my command tours it, it, when I was in the Navy, like Thursday was always the entire staff would go out to lunch, but the rule was is that we, you can't. We don't talk about work. We do not talk about work at all. Oh, that's awesome. And, and the whole thing was just to get to know, you know, people as people. And that's, uh, we got, cause you know, it is when you have like a potluck at work, you know, people, they, they grab their plate, they go back to their cubicle and then they scour, you know, yep. <laughs> they, they eat their food and they don't talk to anybody. I mean, that defeats the whole purpose. I mean, the whole thing I think of what I hear you saying with fun is that it creates a, a different social atmosphere, you know, for the people that are around them, which it, it, uh, would probably elicit a little more humor, a little more because every every department, every organization has its own sense of humor. So you know, it's one of those things yeah. where you know you're going to find things funny at work that only you're going to find funny at work, and you might go home and try to tell your spouse about it, and you're like, "Oh man, this happened today. It was so hilarious." And she looks at you and like, "That's not funny." I'm like, "No, no, it was there. It was awesome. It was hilarious." Yeah, <laughs> well, it, and and what. <laughs> And what I think building on that is really important, and this is, this is what I try to help with, is uh, whatever it is that, that companies are trying to plan to do, uh, we have to be way more intentional than, than we ever have before in, okay, well, how are people going to interact with each other at this right. event? Uh, because we can't just assume that human beings know how or are willing to interact with other human beings anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, there, there needs to be some intentional uh, mixing of people and uh, activity to get them to do that. And it, it, it's, you know, you could say, oh, that's sad. That's too bad. But I think, I think it's just the world we live in. We're, we're, we don't have to have that interaction anymore because we have our sweet little precious phones. Right. Um, but I was, at a, I was at an event for a company and they were, they were merging two different sites. And so they had this, uh, this event at a winery where these two different sites, um, the people who worked there could meet each other. But there was nothing done uh, at, at the thing. It was just you show up and there's some food and wine. Um, and so it was employees of one site sitting there talking to people they already know. And even in that one group, there's clicks and you're just hanging out with the people you already know or like. Right. And then there's the people from the other site doing the same thing. Uh, and what what needs to happen are activities that have been thought through where people can have fun and we're uh, really getting people to ask questions of each other, get to know each other. Uh, and, you know, all of those things have always been good and important and helpful in getting teams, uh, uh, you know, to gel and that kind of stuff. But I think never more so than now when, um, you know, I, I think – we can't assume people really have the skills or are willing to use the skills to just go up and introduce and ask questions of one another. It's always easier to hide um, in your phone. Why interact? Absolutely. When I get, why, why interact with the real world when I can just hide in my phone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like and your, part, and part of that is safety too. It's like, you know, I feel kind of awkward just going and introducing myself, but I don't want to look awkward standing here by myself staring off in the distance. But if I'm on my phone, it looks like I'm at least occupied doing something. <laughs> right. Know? I guess the way you could intertwine the two is just, you know, the fir uh, first person to find the funniest meme on Facebook and share it with somebody around them. Um, oh, absolutely. 
that yeah they might, absolutely they might it. that I think I'll use that the next time great. I speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I like that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> oh, man. You know, you've combined. Or, or, the... or uh, see if you can find somebody in this room on Facebook. Yeah, that would be even better. And see the, the, <laughs> find, you know, the, the, the most awkward picture of them in their profile. Picture. Yeah, exactly. But that, would yeah, be, that, yeah. would be kind of, that might be hurtful humor. Anyway. Um, I, you have combined the two things I love talking about the most today. I love talking about, you know, using humor as a tool and I love talking about leadership. It has been so much fun, you know, talking to a kindred spirit today. If after today people want to find you and they want to watch your awesome TEDx talk, you know, where do they go? Uh, you just go to my website. It's just my name, Paul Ozincup. That's O-S-I-N-C-U-P.com. And, uh, I've got that and some other talks right there on the website. So, and just check it out. Yeah, good. And I would encourage anybody to go there. I mean, great content on his website. A really nice, well put together website, one. But two, um, the videos on there are fantastic. And you get even more content than you got uh, in the podcast today. Now, look, I always like to end um, one of my podcasts with a few strange questions from my overstuffed Would You Rather book. And so I'm going to ask you ahead of time if you're game. They're all random. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to open up the book to see where they land. Let's do it. You know, all right. First question, Paul, would you rather have to watch with your family and friends a video of every time, um, oh, every time you've ever cursed or every time you've ever lied? A video of every time I've ever cursed or every time I've ever lied? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Every time I've ever cursed. Yeah, that's but, much better. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my... My family's probably heard it anyway, so uh, yeah, yeah, definitely every time I've ever heard. Definitely in my family as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, next question, <laughs> Paul. Would you rather have a little man that lives in your mouth and insistently hammers on your teeth with a pick, or oh. coexist with a small bird that lives on your nose and yanks out your nose hairs at its discretion? You know, I think that the. I mean, maybe I'm just weird, but I think the little bird thing would be nice. Just, <laughs> you know, like, that, I don't have to pluck anything and fine, take care, you know, take care of some blemishes while you're at it. If I've got any blackheads or anything, just get, it's like, I would, I would name that bird, I would name that bird Biore. Nice. My wife would agree yeah. with you on that. You know, she's like, uh, <laughs> can you trim that? I'm like, I don't see anything. What are you talking about? What are you talking There's nothing there. She's like, ah. All right, last question, my friend. Last question. This is the moneymaker. All right. Would you rather drink liquid found leaking from a garbage bag or chew on a hairy substance found between the cushions of your couch? Chew on a hairy substance in the cushions of my couch, or yeah. a, oh man, or drink liquid found from a leak, uh, leaking from a garbage bag. You know, if I'm being totally honest, when I was uh, at a concert when I was a young man, I found a half-empty Gatorade bottle, and I was so thirsty, I just drank what was in it because I was like, it's probably fine. Someone probably just left it, and it was. It was. I think it was just Gatorade, but my friends were just absolutely disturbed. Uh, that I did that, but uh, probably the couch thing because I know that that hairy substance is just my dog's fur. So yeah, I get I get probably 
you know, a pound of his fur in every other meal anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. We have two cats and two dogs and, you know, when I wear my, my ball cap to the gym, my wife's always like, there's hair all over that. I'm like, we live in a house with animals. There's hair on everything. Yeah. Yeah. They, what are you, you going to do? I mean, this is the way it is. Exactly. Well, hey, Same my here. friend, Same here. I, I really appreciate you spending time with me today and, you know, sharing your uh, huge, enormous brain. Great stuff. Great content. Well, this was a lot of fun, man. I, I'm excited. Are you going to be in San Diego? Absolutely. All right. We'll see you there. All right. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org.